I'm committed. I'm committed. All right. I'm committed. I'm committed. All right. Ah, yes, it's OGP, the one giant podcast with your host, Adam Armbrecht, Sans, fellow host, Andrew Makowitz, as, of course, he continues his journey down in Florida. He'll be back end of the week, breaking down the upcoming and final game of the New York football Giants season against the Washington football team, soon to be renamed. If we can touch on that for a minute, could have been the Wolves, the Red Wolves was getting thrown out there, trademarking issues, wondered if it had to do with my favorite Premier League team, the Wolverhampton Wanderers. But uh, that being the case, we'll certainly wait and see what comes up as far as that goes, who will be playing next year within the division under a new name. But we'll break that all down. And as you heard there at the top, bottom line is just like Joe Judge, we're committed to providing you with quality podcasts throughout the week and, nay, the remainder of the season and off-season. In that vein, the New York Giants uh, are going to be wrapping up their season, chance for four wins. We know about the uh, tirade or defense of whatever was going on with Joe Judge in that post-game press conference. But interestingly enough, the Pittsburgh Steelers just concluded their Monday Night Football game watching that Manning cast with the brothers there. And it did get me thinking a little bit because obviously – Uh, Ben Roethlisberger still playing. Looks like he's winding down his career drafted same time uh, as Eli Manning. And when you look around the league, listen, right off the top, I'm an Eli Manning apologist. I ride or die end of his career. Still thought that he had juice left in the tank. But one of the things that I, that I think we're, we're, we're learning now as this, uh, era of Giants football hopefully comes to a conclusion is that whatever whatever Eli Manning was in his career, whatever a lot of guys were there, whatever Tom Coughlin was at the end of his career, you, you see how the lack of organizational stability damages the product on the field. Ben Roethlisberger is not the quarterback that he was four years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, but There's some consistencies that you have across the way there when you look out to Pittsburgh that allow you and afford you to still be a competitive team, still be a team that puts a quality product out on the field, wins a game against a division rival in the Cleveland Browns, and has a chance to go back to the playoffs one last time before he retires. And I looked it up because I I had my suspicions, wasn't sure how long, but Kevin Colbert, who is the GM for the Pittsburgh Steelers, has been there since 2000. He has 22 years at the helm of that organization that affords him, because he's doing a good job, to take long-view perspectives, to not get short-sighted, to not overreact to a good or bad season, to impending free agents, to spending a little more or saving a little bit extra and using it down the road at some point. The other component is Mike Tomlin. And, and the reason, by the way, that I bring all this up is because I posted a, a little poll question over on Twitter yesterday asking fans, if the assets and price was all the same this offseason, who would you rather go get, Russell Wilson or Mike Tomlin? And the majority, actually, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. The majority of people voted on the side of Mike Tomlin, but there were still a handful inside of it that said 
Russell Wilson. And it's just, maybe it's the abuse that you've gone through as Giants fans following this team and the decade of ineptitude, but that's the short-term band-aid. I want to feel good. Give me a good season going and getting Russell Wilson. Mike Tomlin is stability. Mike Tomlin is a guy that has been with the Pittsburgh Steelers since 2007 as their head coach. And by the way, Ben Roethlisberger started his career with Coach Bill Cower, took over for Tommy Maddox, won a Super Bowl, built things back up. Cower retires, Tomlin takes over, boom, another championship in there. And all along the way, competitive continuity, not a lot of upheaval, not a lot of issues, some things that did crop up along the way, like an Antonio Brown, like a Le'Veon Bell. See ya. You can go do that somewhere else. You can go be a problem somewhere else. So Ben Roethlisberger operated under just two GMs for his entire career and under just two head coaches. Now, Eli Manning ended up catching three head coaches by the time it was all said and done. And only three GMs. But but that's, you know, but, but think about it. Where was the stability? When was the stability for the Giants? Ernie Accorsi and then Tom Coughlin. Like, that was it. That was, the, that was when things were going well and right. And it doesn't mean that they were going to win another championship or that they were going to be competitive or that things wouldn't have gotten to a point where you knew you needed to rebuild. But when you take away one of the most respected voices in the NFL of Tom Coughlin and one of the most highly regarded GMs in Ernie Accorsi, yeah, things are going to go off the rails a little bit. Stability matters. And that's depressing, right? Because the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Giants, are supposed to be one of the stalwart families of the NFL. And yet it seems like they've somehow lost the recipe here over the last decade and can't seem to navigate their way back. I want to extend this a little bit um, into not just uh, what happened here with Dave Gettleman, but even the GM prior. Quickly, just a little walk down sad memory lane. Uh, the updates around the, the team, also on a quick note, is that Mike Lennon hurt his non-throwing wrist. He's going to need to get that taken care of, so he's done and gone. Mentioned it coming into the Chicago uh, weekend about the quarterback room that Chicago had versus what the Giants put together. And this all funnels into the same thing, the philosophy, the logic, the thought process that everyone top to bottom in this organization seems to use. Colt McCoy, not a barn burner, also a lot better than Mike Glennon. You let him leave the, leave the room after having him last year. You make these active choices about where you want to spend money and, and what you're willing to commit to. And now, you know, unlike years past where, Listen, the Giants have shuffled in a lot of players. They've picked up guys on waiver wires and taken some shots. The, the quarterback position is a hard one to go out on the market in the middle of the year and find and find someone serviceable or better than what you've had. But we know this past offseason, there were a lot of options out there on the table. Likewise for offensive line. The injuries happen. It's hard to just find a guy that you're going to plug in. But as we said before, it's not hard to find a guy if he's already on your roster. And when we talk about the New York football Giants, we're going to get inside this just for a minute just to talk about it because I need to get it off my chest. And then, like I said, we'll have the preview coming up. We'll talk about more players. I'm excited about some young guys that are getting some reps, et cetera. But 
remember, this is the quick footnote here. You had a guy by the name of Kevin Zeitler in the building. Didn't want to bring down that 14, 12 to $14 million cap hit. So you cut him. Cost you money. Again, we said this a couple of episodes ago. When you say, when they, you know, when they tell you they're saving money by releasing and taking a dead cap hit, it's not saving money. You're just paying less of the contract that you had him on. So you're not getting money back, right? You're just avoiding having to pay $14 million to Kevin Zeitler. You still take a hit, and then you don't have that money to utilize for something going forward. So the Giants made that choice. We know how good he's been for Baltimore, and that has to make, it makes you question where you spend your money. But then it got me thinking, because we, we, we touched on that one before. It got me thinking because, and I pulled up a couple, there's a couple of angles on this. One of which was going, really going back, right? So I went back and thought about the 2018 going into the 2019 season. You re, if you remember, the New York football giants, that off season had Justin Pugh and Weston Richburg both up for contracts. Now, Weston Richburg's had some injuries. He hasn't been terribly strong, but we know it came after him, right? Hodgepodge of dis- different players in there, Jalapio and et cetera, has not been good. You move over Nick Gates, and that ends up looking like it's going to work until he gets hurt. That's fine. But you had Justin Pugh up for a contract, John Greco up for a contract, and then you also had free agents that you brought in. And the reason why I bring it up is because Justin Pugh, I'm not calling him a, a, a pro bowler. But guess where he plays? On Arizona, in front of Kyler Murray, being a serviceable player for them and helping have continuity across that offensive line. He's had some injury issues over the course of his career. We get that. But he's a player that has performed to an average of 66.5 PFF. It's not sexy. Got him a little higher, up to a 70, a little bit lower on 64, 65. But he's been there. Five years, $44 million. So a five-year, $44 million contract was too much. And when you go inside, the, just the year following, which is when you get in the new GM and he makes all these fancy moves, you spend $37.5 million the following year on, on Golden Tate. So you're not going to tell me the money wasn't available for you to make these things happen. You did go out and sign Nate Solder. But oh, by the way, that was your panic reaction move to not getting your original target in Norwell from Carolina. So all these things are, are you know, are, are panic moves. But the bottom line is, you know, you had a talent to whatever level you think he's played at, right? You had a talent in the building. And rather than maybe look at it and say, here is consistency, I'm not saying he's an A plus, not saying he's an F. But here is consistency, and you're coming out of this run where you drafted guys all throughout to build a successful offensive line that had continuity and familiarity, right? But you let everybody go. And then you go out and you bring in Patrick Omame on a three-year, $15 million deal that offseason, who, by the way, had flashed early, but the last two seasons prior to signing with the Giants had shown that it was going in the wrong direction. But you go and you spend $5 million a year on him. And you go and you spend the $62 million overall on Nate Solder. 
And you sign in some other other guys, you know, along the way. And I'm not, not going to judge every single one of them retroactively, et cetera. But remember, it's also the same offseason when you signed Jonathan Stewart after he was cut by Carolina at an average of $3.5 million per year. So even just alone in Omame and in Jonathan Stewart, you produce $8.5 million that year. Five years, $44 million. See how the numbers come really close to keeping this guy around? And here's the deep, deep, dive deeper, excuse me, this opens up really. I took this thing back after the 2012 NFL draft, right? And that's the year when you had David Wilson. We all know how that ended and what a tragedy it was that he ends up with that neck injury and has to retire. You had Ruben Randall. He's a he's a no-show. Literally nobody from that, from that draft is on this roster. And that's not something that's crazy a decade later, right? But the reason why I went that far back is because the following year, you take Justin Pugh, number uh, first-round pick, excuse me, 19th overall. He's your first-round pick. So the fact that he doesn't sign a second contract with you means it's a miss. To whatever level of production he played to, it's a miss. You don't bring him back. The following year, you draft Jake Bromley in the third round. That That's a miss, as we all know, too. And Weston Richburg in the second round does not sign a second contract. It's a miss. Odell Beckham taken in the first round. Technically signed him to a second contract, but ultimately traded him. So that's your top three picks in that draft. All misses. And by the way, the year that, that draft prior, Justin Pugh, Jonathan Hankins, and uh, Moore were the top three rounds for the New York Ball Giants. Moore, total zero. Hankins had some success. And then Justin Pugh. Fast forward again. You took Bobby Hart in the seventh round in the 2014 draft. But this is where you took Eric Flowers. Number one overall pick for the Giants, ninth overall in the 2015 draft. And the reason why the reason why I bring him up is guess what? He signed a three-year, $30 million contract with Miami. He ultimately plays for the Washington football team now. And when you look at his numbers, he's played to a 68 PFF grade. Now listen, by the time he was done with the Giants, I was done with him. But if you recall, he was drafted as an offensive guard, and the Giants insisted on moving him and making him a tackle. Now, was he 100% dedicated? Was he willing to learn, capable of learning early in his career? Maybe not. But the folly of, we're going to take this guy and turn him into, and this is all under Jerry Reese, by the way, 07 to 17, his run as GM. We're going to force a, a round peg into a square hole. By the way, he ends up playing a bunch of tackle over the course of his career. He ends up being a pretty serviceable offensive lineman. So now out of these drafts, you say, was it too much? A first-round pick, it was too much to keep him around. You know, a bust, quote-unquote. It's a delicate balance. When it's not working, you got to cut ties. Got to be willing to move on. Can't compound the mistake. But because, as we look around this organization, we see that they're capable of being inept no matter which way they choose to go with things, it makes you question all these moves. The Eric Flower one is a pretty easy, I remember, right? I remember the attitude I had about him at the time. I was done with him. I didn't want him there. But I also remember saying, trying to force a player to change positions when every single scout at the NFL level said, when he was coming out, this is a guy that plays guard. That's what you want. Instead, they go the other way. The Pew piece, though, that, that to me is it's borderline inexcusable. Because you didn't do anything else along the way to fill that void. All the free agent moves 
one big, you know, one big target, one big miss when you went after Nate Solder, but nothing else of note. And then you let Zeitler go as well. And you followed up that draft class of 2015 with misses in the first round of Eli Apple. Obviously, we all love Sterling Shepard in the second round there. No other offensive lineman taken in 2016, 2017. You took Biz Nawadi at the back end of the draft. He turned out to be a stellar human being. Nobody here outside of Evan Ingram remains on this roster, including your second round pick, Dalvin Tomlinson. Didn't keep him around either. You kept Evan Ingram around, though. You haven't moved off of him. Following year, B.J. Hill, third-round quality pick. He's not on the roster anymore. Lorenzo Carter's still here. You know he's one of my favorites. Will Hernandez. And here's a great example, by the way. And the reason that I really got into all this is because Isaiah Wilson was cut by the Giants. And so many were clamoring to give him a look, give him a chance, give him an opportunity. Now, if he's not doing it in the film room or on the practice squad, it's really easy for me to get behind the idea of, that's it, good luck, have fun. We tried it out. It didn't, it didn't work, right? That I'm okay with. But now you're in these murky waters, right? Will Hernandez has not been very good, but the team hasn't been very good. And the coaches haven't been very good. And the GM hasn't been very good. So what happens next with a player like that, right? You move off of him. Listen, all we want is a new GM and maybe it down to you know, a new, new head coach and all new players and strip it down. That, I'm fine with that. But when you look at what some of the long-term results have been on some of these players that the Giants have moved on from, it's, it's hard. It's hard to put your trust in them. So even when they cut Isaiah Wilson, do I think that automatically it probably means he'll be playing starting somewhere else next year? Maybe. You know, he has a track record on and off the field of, of being a disappointment. But it's hard, man. That following draft, they don't take any offensive lineman until the seventh round with uh, Asafo, and he's not on the roster anymore either. So again, this is all while the offensive line's looking like garbage in front of you. And the top picks in those drafts were obviously Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, and then you moved up for DeAndre Baker. Not on the roster, had the off-the-field issues. We like Dexter Lawrence. Daniel Jones looks like he'll be done too. Past draft, we know we hit on Andrew Thomas. The next draft, excuse me. And this is, this is where it gets interesting too. Because mostly I'm just ranting about it, about ineptitude and about how the Giants have managed to make all the wrong choices, including maybe letting go of Tom Coughlin instead of just riding him out along with Eli Manning. What difference would it have made? You kept Jerry Reese around longer, but you got rid of your head coach that led, that led you two championships that had a, a very strong connection with his quarterback. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying the results would have been better or different. But remember, you got rid of him. You promoted McAdoo. McAdoo had a good year off of Tom Coughlin's team. And then it spiraled out of control the next year. Which is something to think about. But the point is, is that when you look at what the Giants did have done now, because now, now we get into it here of Kadarius Tony. I, we, the, the difference is about should you shouldn't have with some of these guys. But Canarius Tony looks like he's electric if he's going to be on the field healthy. You like Ojolari. We like Robinson. Ellerson Smith starting to get some reps here. We think he could be good. Rodarius Williams was flashing before the injury. This, is, this could be a really solid draft class for the New York football Giants. Year prior, Andrew Thomas, that's a hit. Xavier McKinney, he's a stud. Miss on Matt Pert. Holmes, questionable, right? The injury, et cetera. Shane the Mule looked like a diamond in the rough. The key special teams contributor in Cam Thomas. Carter Coughlin was going in that direction as well prior to the injury. Tay Crowder's played a ton, a little bit out of his depth, 
seventh round pick, but like these last couple of drives haven't been terrible. But by and large, your first round pick in Daniel Jones, it's going to be a miss. Your first round pick in Saquon Barkley, it's going to be a miss ultimately, unless you force yourself to sign to a second contract to make it look better. As is your second round pick in Will Hernandez. Your first round pick, Evan Ingram, is a miss. Your second round pick, Dalvin Tomlinson, isn't on the team despite being a hit. Your first round pick, Eli Apple, is a miss. Your first round pick, Eric Flowers, was a miss in spite of the, you know, waxing poetic about it a little bit. As was your your second round pick in a lot of ways, Landon Collins. Ah, I take that back. He's a good player. Wasn't going to be brought back on another contract. He was a good player. Odell Beckham hit, not a part of the team. Weston Richburg, you'd say a miss. These are top two, you know, top two rounds. Justin Pugh, serviceable. Didn't live up to a first-round grade, maybe, but a serviceable player not on your team. Neither is Jonathan Hankins. David Wilson, Ruben Randall. I mean, th- this is the point. You miss on diamonds in the rough, and you miss on guys that are supposed to be guarantees. Pick number 19 overall in the first round, Prince of Mucamera. That's a miss. Marvin Austin, what happened to him? Let's go back to 2010 when you got Jason Pierre-Paul. That was nice. And Linval Joseph, how about that? when it was still just coming out of the fog of Ernie Accorsi. It's rough. And now you don't, so now this is again, comes back to, you know, how do we feel about what comes next for the New York football giants? The one, the, the one thing I'll, I'm just going to throw this in here as far as Joe judge. Cause I think the way that this has gone is you start with, uh, you know, the top, everyone's discussed it with John Mara, but he's not going to sell the team. Then you look at Dave Gale and we say, well, he obviously has to go, right? We have all agreed on that. Now it's about Joe Judge. And you fire. Then it was Jason Garrett, by the way. Fire him too, right? Fire some offensive coordinators. Fire everybody. But now you're you're zoning in on Joe Judge. And we're thinking, hey, now now you're in the crosshairs, right? That don't bother me. Joe Judge says it doesn't bother him. Take him at his word, right? Why? I'm committed. I'm committed. All right. That's why. He's committed man, committed to the process. But now we're honing in on him and the the ineptitude of this organization makes it difficult. And I've said this before to then objectively go and look at the roster, look at the players, look at the drafts and try to say, "Well, well, who is it here? If Dave Gettleman's a total fool and he's out of his mind and Joe Judge has been building his voice, can you look back? at these last two drafts and say Kadarius, Tony, Ojalari, Robinson, Smith, Brightwell, Williams. Guess what? We could be sitting here talking about how every one of them, except for Gary Brightwell, a sixth round pick is a hit from the perspective of to the level where they were drafted and being a contributor on the team, right? That that's a completely new, completely new result for, for New York football giants draft the year prior. Again, Thomas, McKinney, Pert, Holmes, Lemieux, Brown, Coughlin, Brunson, Williamson, Crowder. Now, those are four seventh-round picks at the back end of this thing, but out of your top six rounds, Brown, a special teams contributor at the sixth round, that's a win. And Carter Coughlin's going to be a win by being a seventh-round selection. Lemieux comes back healthy. Holmes, McKinney, okay, the Mrs. Matt Pert looks like. Mostly successful draft. Those are true drafts when Joe Judge has been in the building. The year prior is when things seem to be off the rails, right? 
Daniel Jones is probably a miss. DeAndre Baker was a disaster. Owen Shane Zimenez is a miss. Love has been serviceable. Fourth rounder, fine. Connolly not on the team. Darius Slayton outkicked his draft stock, certainly. Corey Ballantyne, gone. Chris Slayton, gone, right? And again, year prior, Dave Gettleman at the helm. Saquon Barkley taken at the wrong time. Still a really great player. Fantastic. Will Hernandez, that's a miss. Lorenzo Carter, I'm calling him a hit. <laughs> As a third rounder. High third rounder, though. Borderline late second rounder. BJ Hill, not on the team. Kyle Laletta, RJ McIntosh. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, this is the spot that I didn't think I'll get to. And I'll close, and I will leave you with this thought. For all that we are railing against Joe Judge in this moment, because of how inept everything is, if you believe that at the end of the day, John Mara is an owner who is capable of ha- of putting the right people in place, as he's done before in his career, right? If you think that he's capable of that, and if you think that what's been said is true, uh, how he feels about Joe Judge. I'm committed. I'm committed. All right. He's committed to him. If you believe that, then maybe you can extend the belief that Joe Judge had real influence on these last two draft classes, and they are the best two draft classes the New York football giants have had in a decade. Maybe that's why he's committed to him. And and it's a funny thought that we, we started to have, and I started to have talking with familiar name on the show, Pizza Mike, about where the Giants were going and what they were doing and the influence that Joe Judge was going to have when he was brought in. And that slowly, if you believe that he is a Bill Belichick type of guy, stop, don't worry, not saying he is, that level of coach. But if you think that he's a really great talent, talent evaluator and his voice starts to carry weight when he, the second that he gets hired, he starts taking on a little bit more of the way that we want to go in the draft. Then maybe there's something here to say that, that, that he can be good for this organization long-term. And maybe it's not necessarily first and foremost about his X's and O's, but about talent evaluation and managing players. I don't know. Doesn't seem likely maybe, but, but there has to be some world that if we all agree that Dave Gettleman's a crackpot and on his way out and was a disaster and made all the wrong choices, then it is hard for me to look at these last two drafts and not say, well, the, the quality moves have been made. And the last caveat I'll give you is, if you're Joe Judge and you've been brought in and John Mara is going to give you authority and a voice in the room and you did not draft Daniel Jones, wouldn't you want to put yourself in a spot to be able to bring in your own franchise quarterback potentially, whatever that looks like, whenever that looks like? I think you would. Silver linings, my friends. Trying to find them. There aren't many. But all indications are Joe Judge will be back next year. So maybe this is what we need to start to do. Look at what has happened over the last couple of seasons with him and decide whether or not we think 
that there are positives there that could continue to grow in the right direction. Because again, when you do decide, let's tear it down, let's rebuild it, let's do it the right way, it's still going to be a difficult process early. That's what we all accept. So maybe Joe Judge is a victim of circumstance right now. And maybe he will be fired as a victim of circumstance. Going into next year, I'm fine with it either way, if I'm being honest. Because you can give him another year, bring in the new GM, let them control the draft, let them control free agency, let them control the roster. And if it looks better, it looks better. And if it doesn't, then you move on from him. Because guess what? The Giants aren't going to compete next year either. So you're not losing anything. Same reason why I say, even if I don't think that Daniel Jones is the franchise quarterback anymore at this point, I still keep him around next year. I just don't sign up. I just don't sign up for the fifth year. And I don't give him an extension. I let him play it out. If he blows his, our socks off, great, big contract. We have a franchise quarterback. If he doesn't, we move on. We're one year away from confirming or denying a couple extra components of this rebuild. That's it. That's the rant. Be back in on Friday with Andy. Talking all things New York football giants. We'll take a look at the matchup. We'll talk about some of these young guys. I highlighted a lot of these draft selections over the last two years, some of which have been out there like Aaron Robinson, Ellerson Smith starting to get some reps as well. Would love to be able to see one more look at, you know, a Kadarius Tony here before the season ends. Would you know, Listen, proof seems to be in the pudding that Brightwell hasn't sniffed the field at all, but wouldn't hate if I saw some of him. Take a look at some of those young guys, though, right? Xavier McKinney, box checked. Shame that we didn't get to see more Shane Lemieux this year. We'll break it all down. We'll highlight some of the young guys to watch for, to watch for. But mostly for me. I'm committed. All right. You know what I mean? I'm committed. Think about that. 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 About that. About that. About that. About that. About that. 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 That's That's where. That's where. That's where we're at. 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 That's where we're at, man. 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 We're at 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 man. 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 Me, I don't bother me. 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 I don't bother me
That don't bother me. 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 Amen. 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 All things talking. 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 All things talking.
all things Yurkin, 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 all things on social and follows 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 on social media rampant 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 media Back up over on it back up over on it back up over on it back up over on you 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 cup 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 on YouTube, on YouTube, on YouTube, on YouTube, on YouTube, 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 Wood, 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 wood,
want, need, would want, need, would want, need, would want, need, would want, need, and would want, need, and would want, need, and then 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 want, need, and as o 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 as Big blow. 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 Big blow.